Welcome back to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. I don't know that I can say enough, that we can say enough, how privileged we are to get to have these conversations with uh, so many wonderful people who are doing wonderful things and who are just good people. And today is one of those. Um, State Representative Patty Kim from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We love her. And uh, we hope that you will too as you um, as you listen to this conversation and listen to her sharing her openness, her vulnerability, and some things about her life that we didn't know, but we're really um, you know privileged to, to be able to hear and you'll you will get to hear them too. So let's just tell you a little bit about Patty Kim's story. So Pennsylvania State Representative Patty Kim is a former news anchor and reporter and Harrisburg City Councilwoman was first elected to the State House representing Harrisburg, the capital city and its surrounding suburbs in 2012 and has been a leader in government reform and transparency. Representative Kim's priorities include taking a solution-based approach to statewide issues working in cooperation and collaboration with colleagues and utilizing her record of service to support initiatives that stand to better the lives of the citizens she represents. She leads the effort to provide a livable wage for all Pennsylvanians. Some of her other leadership priorities are education, climate change, racial and LGBTQ plus equality, and women's health. She is a deputy whip for her caucus. She is a graduate of Boston College and is married to John Sider, and together they have two children, Brielle and Ryan. So Representative Kim, welcome to the Someone to Tell a Two podcast today. We're so glad to have you with us. I'm so glad to be here. I have a river view with a little bit of ice flowing down the river. It's just really comfortable and just glad to be with you guys. For those who are listening, watching, as we record this, uh, this, this, this conversation is taking place on President's Day. And the actual airing of the podcast will be in March during Women's History Month. And we thought it was appropriate to have a woman leader, to have a woman who is making history, who has made history in, in your role. You're the first Asian-American woman who has been a member of the Pennsylvania uh, State Legislature. And uh, we think that's fantastic. And we again, we just thank you for being with us today. Especially on your day off. Yeah. <laughs> now that we learned <laughs> that, she, that she's... It's better be good and yeah. worth my time. That's right. <laughs> that she sacrificed her time to be with us. So uh, thank you. My pleasure. Let's talk about what it's been like as the first. Anytime that any of us are the first at something that we do, it can be harder because you're breaking barriers, you're, you're, you're glass ceilings, you know, changing things that, you know, and maybe some things have never been done before. How have you been received um, as someone who has broken some barriers, as someone who is who, who they've never had in the legislature before. What's that been like for you? What's that felt like for you? And how have you responded to that? So, you know, as you're talking about the first and first, I just, you know, I just feel this heavy sense of responsibility, you know, because I'm the first, let's not be the first Asian American woman to screw up, you know, and <laughs> to... Um, present myself because I know I've seen people look at me, especially the, my colleagues, um, 
who represent very rural areas that I know I'm like one of the first Asians. That, I mean, their eyes are like, whoa, <laughs> like she looks different. I mean, they're not very good with poker face, but you know, I know I look different and I know that they don't sometimes don't know what to do with me, you know, like, you know, you know, does she have an accent? You know, is she, does she have a personality? I could just feel that like, I'm respectful, but I don't know what to do with you. And um, so I have that going on. And then, you know, people remember my name because I'm the only one that looks like myself. And then I have a host of Caucasian men, you know, which I can't, I can't remember everybody's names. And so, you know, the dynamics is a little bit different. Um, but it's mainly been positive, Michael and Tom. It's mainly positive. And I have to say, I want to thank the women who've gone before me, who had to endure. I've heard stories where there'll be like, you know, 12 male state reps and one woman. And guess who has to take the notes? You know, even though everybody are elected officials, duly elected officials, you know, the woman needs to take the notes or the women would try to hide and, and you know, wear suits and not carry a purse and, you know, look like and act like a man to, to fit in. And I have the freedom to be who I am. And because I'm going along with this theme of being different, I'm being exactly who I am. And thankfully, it's been working. It's been working for me. And um, it's it's been an honor and, and a huge responsibility. Thank you for sharing that. And we, we can only imagine how hard sometimes it, it must be, what kind of a burden it must feel like. When I was um, a college student, I had an internship in the state Senate. And the senator's office, uh, in which I was an intern, was the only woman Okay. Senator Jeanette Reedman, okay. her name. She was the chair of the education committee. And um, I found that to be an incredible privilege to be in the office of, a, of, a, of also a, a groundbreaker, someone who broke barriers. And uh, she had served in the state house uh, before that and then was elected to the Senate. But when she came to the Senate, she discovered that there were no restrooms for women yep. because all of the senators for 200 years before that were male mm -hmm. and she had to she needed to use a restroom she had to walk entirely across the capitol to the other side uh to to have a to utilize a restroom mm -hmm. so by the time i got there and uh was was working for her uh, with her um, her office was the only senator's office that actually had its own restroom. Oh, they, okay. they gave they her our, create. I'm not sure if they built it or, or there was one that was already there and she made it, she got that office because it had a, it had a, it had its own private restroom. Yeah. And so it's just incredible to think about what simple things like that, that really aren't so simple that, 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 anyone who's new and breaking barriers has to endure and has to experience. Uh, so we, uh, we congratulate you for the grace with which you do it and, and, and have done it for, for the last 10 years. Thank you. Yeah. You don't really pursue life and be like, I'm going to be the first of something, you know, you just kind of um, go with your passion, go with what you think is important. And it's the people, it's the people who uh, I've, come to love in the city of Harrisburg and in the um, surrounding areas and to serve them as a real privilege. 
there's not a large Asian American population in my district specifically. You see a lot of Hawaiians, Californians, um, people in New York who who are Asian American represent a large population. I don't have that. So it is an honor that my constituents have accepted me and to keep voting me back, even though you know, they may not relate to my culture. So it's, it's, it's truly a privilege. And um, I'm not going to ask too many questions like, why? Why? <laughs> just, keep, just keep serving until they kick you out. <laughs> well, you mm. are famous, a famous quote is by Teddy Roosevelt who talks about just entering into the arena. And we'd just love for you to talk. Maybe you could take our listeners back to that moment when you decided this is the arena I'm going to enter. So... President Roosevelt also said uh, in his books, well, I learned through his books, is to get action, to get action. And my mother passed away from pancreatic cancer at age 60. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was unfortunately two days after my wedding and my world just crashed. And, you know, realizing in reality that we're not all going to live to 95 years old and have this, you know, perfect life, that life can end at 60. And so I felt that... um, you know, and at that time, I was pursuing to be a news reporter. And, you know, in my selfish, young Patty, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to make money. I wanted to be a news anchor and, and go back to the D.C. area where I grew up uh, in my high school years and to make a lot of money and be a, a, a news anchor. And um, that quickly got old as I my first job, I was making $15,000 a year. <laughs> it was so painful trying to work your way up. I remember going to the mall in Hagerstown, Maryland, where was my first job, and I was a morning anchor, morning news anchor, and a random person came up to me and said, yeah, you're you're that morning anchor, and I'm like, yeah, and he kind of shrugged his shoulder and walked away, and I'm like, is that what it feels like to be quote unquote famous? Like, this is so unsatisfying to have someone, you're, you're that lady, walk away, and I was like, what in the world am I doing? And then, you know, then my, my mother passed and like, I need to do something that is more fulfilling. And my faith comes into that where, you know, it's service, you know, we've been blessed with, with good health. I have a great family. I have great education. And what do I do with all of this? Do I hoard it and try to, you know, improve? I tried, I tried to hoard it and try to be rich with it, but it became very, um, Again, un, I can't find a better word, but unfulfilling, unsatisfying. My husband, who where we met in Harrisburg, also ran for city council. And so that was my first thing, like, oh, regular people can run for politics. Like, he's just a regular guy. Like, he's running. I'm like, we were on a date, and he's like, yeah, I'm running for city council. I'm like, shut up. No, you're not. And he's like, yeah, I'm running. He, he lost. <laughs> he eventually lost. But in my head, you know, again, regular people can run for politics his good friend asked me to run for city council, and I decided. And I said, you know, sometimes when you have some life experiences and they don't really go the way you want to, and then there's a moment where you're like, oh, this makes sense. This makes sense. This I've been wanting to serve. I have name recognition as a news reporter. My husband went through this. He can help me out, and I can, I can do what I'm supposed to do. And so... Even though it was incredibly scary, I don't want to do speeches. I don't like raising money. Who wants to be publicly criticized? No, but no moral <laughs> person wants to do that. But because I had this conviction that this is what I'm supposed to do, I just pushed through the extreme uncomfortable <laughs> activities and just pressed my way through to get to the other side where I can do what I'm, I'm passionate about. 
Okay, you brought up something here that, that I want to ask about. So what was it like your husband ran and he did not win? You ran and you did win. How did your husband um, react to that? Yeah, my husband is very uh, special and I don't deserve him. He, um, We've talked about this and that experience realized he does not want to do, he does not want to be in politics. But my perspective is he, he did it to oust somebody. He wanted, because he couldn't stand the one person who was on city council. He wanted to oust him. And I'm, I hate to say this, but a lot of guys do that. They're more aggressive. I want to push the guy out. For me was, this is where I want to serve. And this is what I want to do with my life, where I think we had different motivations. And I think we had different results. And voters are incredibly uh, perceptive, observant, and smart. They can tell from a mile away if someone's sincere or not. They know, like, if, and I've heard people say, you know, Pat, I think your heart's in the right place. Mm-hmm. They may not agree with my politics, who I am, but if your heart's in the right place, I'm going to trust you with my vote. And I think um, that's where we were different. And, and he has been incredibly supportive, listens to all my boring stories, <laughs> gets it that I have to be out late, always out, and he'll come, I'll come home and I'll have wine and dinner ready for me because he knew I was working hard. So again... I don't want to gush over him. I'm sure he's happy that I'm saying this because I don't say it enough. <laughs> I don't say it in his face. I'll say it on a podcast. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my husband, John. So he's obviously one of your heroes, but maybe you could talk for a few minutes just about some of your other heroes that really inspired you. Because I'm a mom of two and it's so humbling being a parent, especially with teenagers right now and not not knowing and having to juggle I, when I see other women, um, especially world leaders, whether it be the German chancellor, I, mean, I don't care if our politics are not the same, but to get to that high level of, you know, vice president with Kamala Harris, to that level, and I know that the higher you go, the more criticism you have, the more uh, higher stakes that you have, the more that your family is sacrificed. I'm just like, I don't know how you guys do it. Um, so I, especially world leaders, female world leaders are the ones who I, I just like to watch. I'm an observer. You know, how do they operate? How do they stay sane with all that pressure cooker, you know, environment? I'm just in awe of them. And I, I can't tell you the exact, I just person, I, I'm not, I can't give you an exact person, but I, I'm just an observer of, of leaders. Well, as we're recording this, it's still in the midst of Black History Month. And uh, so there's a quote by Rosa Parks that I come back to you all the time. And she talked about always be fearless about doing the right thing. And we just love to take a few minutes just for our listeners to talk about doing the right thing and what that's looked like for you. And have there been any moments where you had to wrestle through a decision, um, but you continue to pursue the things that you value and the things that you hold true? So in the beginning of my term, which is almost 10 years from now, I decided to have a policy that I will take a meeting with anyone, any constituent in my district. And the ones who I kept coming to me and seeing a pattern were the re-entrance, the formerly incarcerated folks, you know, who ex-offender is is an outdated term, but an ex-offender. And I would listen to their stories. And, you know, I didn't growing up, I didn't 
I was I didn't I've never been to prison. I never knew of anybody in prison. So this was fascinating, you know, and they would come and they would talk and I empathize with them because they were kind of embarrassed. Like I'm pretty much a stranger and they're talking about some of their, you know, um, worst moments of their lives uh, going to prison. And now that they're out and they're trying to do better, they were asking for, you know, job opportunities or a referral and whatnot. And in the, let's say, 50th conversation with the reentrant, I was like, okay, God, got it. <laughs> this is who I'm supposed to talk and, and, and represent. And, you know, hearing some of the inequities and the mistreatment, you know, you know, it's kind of a stigma, you know, to, to be, have to been through prison. But I knew this is something that I needed to, um, the people, the population that needed to help. Uh, fast forward after trying to get some legislation in where you would um, expunge or seal nonviolent uh, charges, which is law now in Pennsylvania after 10 years of a clean record, which we're super thrilled about because we barely get legislation passed. Uh, we felt like it was a win. And even though it didn't help all reentrants, it gave people hope that if I stayed clean, um, I think I, I can have a clean record and, and have a job. Um, that can sustain my family. And then if I can give you a quick story, I was feeling, the kids say, I'm, I'm feeling myself. Like I was feeling pretty proud of myself and my ego was pretty big. And I was like, yeah, you know, because people will come, come up to me and be like, I was an, I'm an ex-offender. Like you can talk to me, Patty, because, you know, you, I know you like us. <laughs> and so I was like the, the state rep who represented uh, this population. So I, um, I go to the Humane Society with my daughter. My daughter is uh, infatuated with cats. She's allergic, go figure, but she loves cats. <laughs> so is Michael. <laughs> yeah, oh, too, is that too. right? Like, how is that possible? So um, I'm not going to go into, but it was just such an aha moment where um, we've had cats and um, we've had some sad stories. One had a rare cat disease. One wanted to go out the whole time. I'm not going to go, but three, basically three cats have died in my possession. Okay. There's a good story. It is a sad story. We didn't mean it, whatever. So my daughter wants to get another cat and we picked one out and we talked to the lady. She was young and she looked at our application and she asked me a bunch of questions and she said, okay, we'll, we'll let you know. And I was like, you know, there's 250 cats in the back crying, asking for a good home. We have a good home. We got this. They're just going to make us wait. As we're walking out to the car, <laughs> I get a call and I'm rejected. Guys, there are 250 <laughs> homeless cats and I get rejected to get a cat. And it, then it hit me after whining, like, do you know how many times I went to the vet, spent money on cat food, kitty litter, blah, blah, blah. What they saw of me was just on paper, and it looked like I was a cat killer. <laughs> I've <laughs> lost three cats in my possession, and I got rejected. And I thought of my uh, ex-offenders, that mm. they are represented mm. by what they see on paper. It's not the whole story. That's right. There are reasons why certain things happen. Some were just you know, bad, especially if you hurt another person. And I thought to myself, I need to go even deeper in representing this population. That maybe I have to use my reputation and vouch for somebody. Because I, I wished I had someone to be like, no, Patty's a great cat owner. <laughs> you know, she cleans up the you know, stinky kitty litter. Nobody was there to back me up. 
I was cat killer on paper. I got rejected. And how many re-entrants have felt that when it comes to jobs or just first impressions? And so I, I had that lesson made me go deeper. Such an important point. And I, I think for those of us who are parents who are listening, I know my wife and I, we try to impress this upon our own kids is that it's removing people's decisions from who they are as individuals. So I, I often will say like reframing their way of, of looking at an individual that this person made a bad decision. They're not a bad person. Exactly. Uh, and I think that that we've actually had people push back on us mm-hmm. using that mindset, uh, which is unfortunate. Even people from the religious community uh, mm-hmm. sometimes will have a hard time doing that. And, you know, in the core of people's being, we believe that people are good. They just make bad choices for a whole host of reasons. Yep. In fact, our, our, our very first um, public interview was uh, on the local on WITF, which is the local um, public radio station here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, we, the, the interviewer, uh, we had written a blog a few days before about the subject of shame mm-hmm. and that so many people feel shame about their lives, about their experiences, about who they are what they've done or maybe what they haven't done. And, you know, our blog was about not shaming people because that doesn't help anyone. And in fact, it just, if they, if they are engaged in bad behavior or, you know, behavior that's not, not, not accepted, it really just doesn't necessarily stop them. The shame doesn't stop them from doing it. It just drives it underground. They just maybe hide it better or, or, um, you know, but they often, it doesn't change things. We uh, then the scary part came, and you're probably so used to this. <laughs> I don't know if you ever get used to it, but conversation was open up to the public live for anybody to call in and ask us questions. Someone right away uh, called and said about the shame stuff. Uh, what are we supposed to do? And specifically mentioned about politicians who do bad things, and shouldn't they be shamed for for what they do? And it was very obvious that the caller did not agree with us, did mm-hmm. not agree that shame was you know, something that we shouldn't be putting on one another. And, you know, we had to answer the question and, and talk about, again, what I just said, about it, it tends to not change things. It drives things underground. And the only way you can help someone or get someone to maybe change their behavior or their way of thinking is, is, is by seeing them in a different light. And seeing them in a deep, you mentioned about going deeper, and it is. Uh, one of our, uh, anyone who listens to or reads our books, uh, listens to, to these podcasts, know that we mention every other podcast, we'll mention Fred Rogers, who is, is one of our heroes. And, and, and the story that we always go back to, where for, for much of his, his adult life, his public life, he carried around a, a slip of paper in, a, in his pocket that was given to him by a social worker he met one day who wrote, and I'm paraphrasing, that you can't help but love someone once you know their story. Once you go deeper, know what's behind their story, what's behind their actions, their thinking, their their words. It makes a difference. It doesn't necessarily mean that maybe what they sometimes do is right, right. or good, but to understand perhaps where that comes from and why makes a difference. And for and and then it enables us to see them differently, to react differently to them, and for us perhaps to be more trusted. And then for them to open up more 
about their story and and it changes things it changes things for those of us who who are listening it changes things for them as well um i'm not even sure where there was a question there it was just to, to, to it was just to, to pick up pick up on both what both of you have been saying about that and how how important it is to go deeper to get to know people's story and we get, that's what we get to do every day and it sounds as if that's what you're doing too and so you know, in, in your job, in your role as a, as a, as a legislator. So it's, there's no secret that we are living in very turbulent, divisive times. You probably encounter that starkly every day in, in your role, in, in, in what you do. It, in, in, it's obviously happening, in, we see this in Congress, in Washington, you know, the divisions and the, and the partisanship that goes on. And we know that it happens here in Pennsylvania too and probably across every, every state and every state legislature. What, what's the answer? What can make it better? How can things get done and different sides come together to pass legislation, to make choices that will make a, a good difference for the people. And I'll just use that, you know, if your experience here in Pennsylvania, what, what, what do you think can make that difference? So I think that, you know, what your book talks about and a lot of the concepts are some things that could help make things better. You know, you see, I, it was really difficult for me as an elected official during the pandemic. I mean, we just had the perfect storm of, you know, people were in fear. They had a lot of time on their hands. They were on the internet. They were uh, unsatisfied. I mean, you're, you're cooped up in your house and just really angry. And it was just hard. And you, they needed somebody to blame things. And they, they came after us. And yeah, I don't think we as a government did everything perfectly during the pandemic, but they came at us. And um, I think that a lot of voters or a lot of my constituents have not felt like they've been heard, that they get ignored, that the politicians just get um, richer, they do mm -hmm. what they want, there's no accountability. And we just we get to run the way things that you know, we can. So then now we have a I always see a, a pendulum, okay? So they see us as, you know, out of touch. So then they feel like they need to scream louder. And they need to vocalize what's going on. And the news loves to portray or give the, the microphone to the loudest. And now the politicians are fearful <laughs> of the extreme groups, either left or right. So now we have politicians, instead of leading, being in touch, listening to their voters, they're in a crouch position, fearful of the voters that will vote them out. And now we have this dysfunction. We continue to have this dysfunction. Instead of saying, you know, I, Patty Kim, have information that the most regular people don't have. This is how I think we should lead. And I'm going to move forward, whether people like it or not. But this is what I strongly, how we should be moving forward. Now it's like, I need to keep my job. These folks are yelling at me. They're calling me names. We're so accessible with social media that we lead in fear. And that's not how you, that's not how, good government. That's not how we should be operating. And so I'm hoping that again, the pendulum from Trump to Biden, that we go somewhere in the middle and people realize it doesn't matter who the president is, what they look like, gender, whatever. We just want somebody who has common sense. And there's a vast majority of really reasonable people who don't 
you know, agree with the far left and the far right and just want, they, they don't want to have to keep watching government, you know, and they want to live their normal lives with their family and have a good life and not have to constantly be watching after politicians. So I'm hoping that the, that the, you know, the, whether it be moderate or people who have common sense stay, because a lot of us are like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out. And the ones who come in tend to be on the fringes, that the, the normal ones stay and we start to go back towards the middle and make good decisions on behalf of our, our, our folks who we represent. That, that's my hope. And maybe that's why I've been here for almost 10 years, because I'm still optimistic that we can get there um, and that our voices need to be heard instead of the the loud ones i think that's why we like you like you so much we loved your optimism that shines through in all of your interviews that we've listened to we'll be right back after the break we use buzzsprout to create this podcast and as a small nonprofit team we really appreciate how easy they make it to get our guests stories out into the world with buzzsprout you get a beautiful podcast website audio players to embed into other sites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Use the link in the show notes to get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan and to support our show. As the co-founders of Someone to Tell To, we often find ourselves traveling around between meetings and listening sessions, and we often don't really have time for the little things like grocery shopping. I'm sure many of you have had that experience when at the end of a long workday, you'd rather do anything else than shop for groceries. That's why we're happy to give our listeners the chance to get free delivery on your first Instacart order over $35. You'll get the products you love from your local stores in as fast as one hour. There's nothing quite like sitting down at the end of the day to be present for your family over a home-cooked meal, and takeout just doesn't feel the same. So if you find yourself needing groceries and considering getting takeout instead, get hand-selected products delivered straight to your door. Get free shipping on orders over $35 by using the link in the show notes. You mentioned our book and you, you've read it, which we appreciate. And you had some great questions before we even started recording <laughs> for us today. But in the book, we use this LISTEN acronym, L-I-S-T-E-N. And the last letter, we just love to talk about for a minute. And that was N, negotiate the win-win. And as Michael was just talking about, one of our heroes is the late Fred Rogers. And I love this one story of Fred. One Sunday morning, he was in his church uh, that he attended weekly with his his wife and one of our friends was invited to church with him and they were in church together and that Sunday morning and we both have having been trained pastors having served in churches can understand this story we can empathize with it deeply where this woman got up they had done like a public prayer time anybody have any prayer concerns and the woman stands up and she goes on like this five to ten minute rant about war and everybody is just kind of like wanting to crawl (laughs) below their seats and just hide. And even the pastor, I remember our friend Tim looked up at the pastor and the pastor's like, I don't even know what to do right now. But they just let the woman process. And then, you know, that settled. But then afterwards, after the service had ended, Fred literally made a beeline for this woman. And he, he had whispered to Tim and he said, I don't know what, but that something terrible had happened to that woman as a result of Um. war. 
And just the fact that he was able to see that, see below the surface with her, um, you know, I see a huge parallel there to finding a way forward in politics of negotiating the win-win. And that means hearing the deeper things that people care about. Uh, so maybe for a minute, you could just talk about what does it look like to negotiate the win-win? So I mentioned your book and I didn't really expound, but it's coming back to me and that because I will listen to whoever is in front of me, that I have, I send out a message, even though I'm very progressive on paper, people think I'm, um, easy to work with, that maybe I, I'm a moderate and I'm open to linking arms by just listening. You know, I'm not yelling at people. I'm not interrupting them. But like if she's going to sit there and listen, then she's probably open to other ideas. And so that puts me in a category of somebody who I can work with across the aisle, which is super important. We have had some win-wins in terms of passing legislation. Some, you know, medical marijuana is legal in Pennsylvania to... Um, with the opioid addiction, there's a lot more programming for people who have addictions, and they're, they're thankfully bipartisan issues. But we need to have folks to hear what we have in common first. Yeah. <laughs> what is important to us? You know, there's poverty in rural areas, in urban areas, and in suburban areas. What can we, what, you know, who matters to us? I, for, I think non-negotiable are the children. You know, no matter how great or not great their parents are, it's not fair for these children to live in certain circumstances. Can we wrap our arms around that, you know, to find the the least common denominator? And I think that is where we can do win-win, but we have to listen to each other first and stop picking up the, 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 the pithy remarks in D.C. and bring them down to the state and just, you know, just talk over each other. So, um my type of person in politics, you know, introverted, oh, I have to get over my shyness, which is so inconvenient as a politician. <laughs> um, I, I look I look kind of weak because I'm not out there like pounding my chest. This is what we need to do. Let's fight, fight, fight. I look kind of weak because I'm not, you know, that that profile. And so I have to show strength in other ways, whether it be persistence or, you know, really talking on behalf of my constituents. And I think that's my power as a politician because I have listened through so many public comments during city council Tuesday nights for hours and hours. I listen to their needs. You know, I'm not a great fundraiser. I don't, you know, but I can speak and regurgitate and process what my people need. That is my power, but I could only get that data by listening. And then when you make them feel valued, they will share more information. And then they'll tell other people that Patty's okay, go to her, she will help you. And therefore, I am not your typical politician, but listening, understanding, being curious about people and why they operate, and then understanding that hurt people hurt people. Exactly. People are damaged and may not be able to operate in what we think is normal, where then we have more empathy and sympathy for people and then realize we're all the same. I'm no better than you. I'm no better than you. So let me figure out how I can reduce some of your pain and suffering because for some reason, my dad got out of Korean War and my mom escaped North Korea and went down to South Korea. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> it's a miracle. 
but the time, the limited time that I have here, I'm going to use it to, to better other people's lives because I could die at 60 like my mom. So there's a sense of urgency. I know who I am and what I have. Let's serve and make other people's lives a little bit better. I have one more. I know I have that one more. That is powerful. That's just <laughs> very powerful. Go ahead. I, I know. Uh, I have another question for you. I just, I'd love to ask this. I even asked this of some of our, our team members at someone to tell to, just especially some of the women. Um, but I think it's it's important for all of us as leaders. Just what's the next glass ceiling you'd like to break through? You've already broken through a huge glass ceiling, but what's what's the next thing? It was in the paper that I was pursuing to be the running mate for Josh Shapiro. I was on a short list and it didn't work. And so I had a nice uh, <laughs> uh, ego check. Um, so I was looking to run for lieutenant governor um, for the board of pardons because that's one of their main responsibilities mm -hmm. and with ex-offenders and second chances and whatnot. But that didn't work out. So I don't know, honestly, right now. Um, I do know that my dad, who's 85 and a half, has always said, Patty, you just need to keep focusing on the voters or your people, and they will promote you. If you focus on being promoted, you're going to lose it. You're going to be seen in a different way as ambitious and not caring. So Those are wise words. Yeah, I love my dad. And so I'm trying to keep just focused on the people in front of me right now and not try to grab for things that may not be for me. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Where did you, when you talk about listening and, 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 and the power of listening and what that has, where did you learn that? How do you, I mean, you're speaking our words. I mean, you're speaking our. I feel our, like I could help write the book with you our, guys. Our values. And so where did, you, future yeah, where, did, where did you learn that? So it came out of a position of weakness, you know, in an Asian family, you know, where academics was highly, highly focused and prized. Like I was an average student. So I never thought I was smart and then being shy. So how do I operate in public? I'm quiet and I can listen where I don't have to talk because <laughs> I don't want to talk out loud. Um, and so funny, I was a news reporter and you, you know, I'd ask questions and listen and get the information and get the sound bites. But then I use that in my own social interactions because now I'm awkward. So I just ask a bunch of questions so I don't have to talk. <laughs> and if you do that long enough where you're listening and asking hopefully good questions, you learn a lot. And so then I have overcome that, you know, uh, self-doubt where I've gained a lot of wisdom and knowledge that... Um, you know, I can be confident in what I say because I've 
listen for pretty much my whole life, you know? And then also a secret, if you talk less, you look smarter. <laughs> like, wow, like, you know, Patty doesn't say much, but like, I, I felt like I tricked people. Um, but it was, it was a, a skill that I had to develop because of my shyness and not feeling very smart. So I felt bad for the guy who you portrayed as Jeffrey. You know, he came out in a position of strength. You know, he leads this company. He does well. Well, at one point before the pandemic was doing well, you know, so but he had to pivot in order to stay in that position where his, you know, colleagues actually want to be with him. And I read a book where it said, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So what got him there of, you know, sharp elbows, being kind of a jerk, being that aggressive leader got him where he is, but it wasn't going to get him to the next level until he changed and listened to the two women and valued his, his coworkers. And for me, it was the opposite. You know, I got here at a position of weakness, but now I have to really up my skills and being assertive. You know, I feel like sometimes being assertive is being annoying. I don't want to be annoying. Blah. I don't want you to enter into my dialogue in my head, but I've had to pivot and, and be, build skills, um, that would help me stay alive in politics or be effective rather. Has it gotten easier? It's gotten easier, but you know, I'm, I'm 48 and my, I'm just like, man, Patty took you a long time to get here, but I'm so grateful that I, you know, cause we're always, you know, that, always learning. that growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, you know, I can, there's more to grow. And so I'm, I'm grateful for my progress. It just took, it took a little bit, took a little mm -hmm. time. Well, you're talking you're talking with two introverts too. Yeah. And here we are. I mean, you're in a very public position. We, uh, we've been in public positions our whole, our whole careers too. And um, it, yeah, it, it's hard sometimes. And I think maybe we've learned to listen, listen because of that yes. as well. Uh, so I think you, you actually bring up a really good point and how important, yeah, how that, how that can help those of us who, because we live in an extroverted world. I mean, there are only a quarter of, of people are basically introverts. And so the world is, is stacked against, is stacked against us in a lot of ways. And we have to find more creative ways to uh, make our voices to, heard. To, yeah, yeah, to be heard. And we have a lot to say. Absolutely. 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 And we would like to think, do, do believe that those who listen well do have a lot to say because they've learned and they've heard and heard things that maybe not everyone else or most other people don't hear or notice or see. I have one more question. Uh, just what would you want our listeners to hear today from you? So in terms of in the beginning about women empowerment, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we didn't focus on the barriers. You know, I, I don't want women to be like, Oh, it's so scary. I don't want to do that. It's too hard. And, um, even, you know, a shy average kid introverted can be a leader and we, they need, this world needs more introverted leaders because we add such a different, you know, I read the book quiet and she says, as Susan Cain says the same thing, like we just add something different. It's not the key to success. It's not the end all be all, but we add an important element, um, mm -hmm. at the decision-making table. Um, I think your concepts would make anybody a better person. And because it kind of came naturally for us, uh, we can always do more and go deeper. 
and making sure that everybody feels valued. And I think um, that a lot of the observers of politics, some of them have valid complaints. I mean, we have screwed up in the past. <laughs> there have been corrupt people who have taken taxpayer money and been irresponsible. But there are people who are missing something. They're trying to fill a void. And they think if I fix politics, if I fix the environment and reverse climate crisis, I will have purpose in life. And we know as believers that that's, that's not going to fix your life. So if we can give people more value in what they do and that they don't have to work towards something and make sure that they take out a politician, <laughs> that they've accomplished something, that they can just, you know, be happy and content with themselves and, um, you know, give their own contributions without, I don't know, being violent or, you know, um, doing performing riots. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just being extreme in that way. But um, that we have to look at the barriers within ourselves before we start trying to fix everybody else's problems. Wow. Well said. You, you may have, I have one, I have one more question and um, you may have already answered it. I think certainly you've partially answered it. Uh, but what are you most proud of uh, in, in, in your role as a, as a, as a legislator, uh, you had mentioned, you know, the, the prison and, you know, and, and, and those who've come out of prison, giving them a new start, a new, a new life and reform. Um, beyond that is anything, other things that you are, you're really very proud of that you've been able to do or, or help change. Pridefulness gets in the way and it's very dangerous for elected officials. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I can, I'm very grateful that I've been able to, I've said this earlier, to be myself mm-hmm. and my voters continue to vote me in. It's such, oh, <laughs> to be fake and to be someone you're not and be successful is like, you know, you're, you're an imposter. But I've been able to be accepted for my quietness, for my um, gentleness and kindness um and still be considered a strong leader so just really grateful for that um and that i don't have to pretend to be someone else that i'm not love that answer thank you thank you well this has been wonderful thank you for especially on your day off spending an hour with us and our listeners uh there's just so many takeaways i can't wait to read there's certain episodes and this will be one of those i just can't wait to re-listen to it Mm -hmm. um just from the moment we first met you, we, we just felt a special connection, maybe because we're all introverts. Um, we so. probably are the quieter people in the room, but that doesn't mean we don't have a lot to say and a lot to offer the world. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your openness, your vulnerability. We appreciate that so much. And um, um, yeah, your genuineness. It's very obvious. I really yeah. enjoyed this. And yeah, we're glad you did. Uh, happy to do this and I hope much success for your book and I hope more people read it well I think in our history of doing these podcast episodes one of the things that I've noticed is sometimes the best interviews are the ones where we go off script and end up asking very few of the questions that we had initially scripted out 
And this was one of those conversations in this dialogue that we just felt compelled to ask her questions that we did not even think about until maybe a response that she offered and it just evoked something in us. And just can't say enough about her level of openness and just her sincerity. And she used the word genuine often. And from the moment we first met her even years ago, she just is a genuine person. And for those of you who are listening today and wondering how we even got connected with her, this go around, she came to our our first book launch in uh, January for our new book, Listening Two by Two, A Paradigm Shift for Leaders. That's when the magic happened. She and her daughter came. We had sent her an inv- invitation and, and she just showed up unexpectedly but enthusiastically. And and even before we started recording today's episode, she and her daughter just said how much they loved being there that night. And then for her to endorse our book in the middle of this podcast multiple times, it doesn't get much better than that. We did not expect that. She, She read the book. She appreciated it very much. And we learned that she holds the same values that we do when it comes to what listening means, what listening is about, how listening can change things. It also was was um, uh, kind of fascinating and wonderful to hear that she's an introvert, just like just like we are, and that that makes her unique, uh, just among the population in general, but especially uh, you know someone who's in the public eye as yeah. she is, that and and how she has to work through that. Uh, to, and uh, how she can make a difference through it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we really appreciated what we learned. Did not expect to, to, to talk about some of those things today, but but we did. And that, um, that was tremendous. So we want to remind you, um, well, first of all, our book, um, uh, Listening Two by Two. It's, it's available on Amazon. We, if you are interested, if you, what you heard today um, piques your interest, we, we hope that you'll go and you'll buy it, uh, that you'll like it, you'll review it, and, um, and it will help, help to get the message out. And we'd appreciate that very much. We also uh, want to remind our, our listeners and, and viewers that um, the best-selling author and a public speaker, very popular public speaker, John Gordon, will be coming to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on April the 12th to speak on behalf of someone to tell it to. And Tom and I will get to share a, a stage with him to interview him and ask him some questions as, as part of that presentation. So uh, please go to our website, someonetotellitu.org, if you're interested, and you can sign up, uh, sign up for tickets there. So again, thank you for being with us today, for joining us in this conversation. And until we listen again.